Hello, my name is Taylor Marsh, and welcome to Sacred to Psychic. I'm a thriller writer. My women characters live where there are few safe spaces. I delve in the hidden spaces in the mind, surfing dark shadows. These are themes of disruption, especially when sacred outreach taps psychic portals. This is my playground. Here we go. One thing I've learned on this bumpy road from Christian to magician is that the law of attraction is not a magnet. It's also not about money. That big contract you want or that big house you want, the thing you're visualizing, it has to mean something more than just the house. What is your prosperity? How is it is to is it to make up for something? Will you be more prosperous? Will you feel happier with that with that big house? You may get that big house, but I don't think your question about happiness will be answered. It's not that simple. It's like putting off a decision. You can put off a decision that you ha you know you have to make for as long as you want, but it keeps coming back and the anxiety builds until you finally make that decision. The law of attraction deals with your vibration. The higher your vib vibration is, the more likely you are to, to attract what you want. And that kind of vibration is affected by the truths you tell yourself, the truths you tell others, the, the way you are uh, dealing with people, the way you treat them. Now, there can be somebody that treats, treats somebody bad forever and nothing ever happens to them. And people go, well, look at the way he, he or she treats them. And I am nice all the time, but this never happens to me. We all have different um, imprints on us. And they come about when we're born. It's a very long story. This is the beginning of a tale. The beginning of a myth of how we can reimagine our lives. Because our lives get down to, I don't have a pretty car. I don't have a great job. They get, they get down to, in the modern era, all our things. I can't afford a $1,000 phone. I'm not on Twitter. I can't do this. All these obstacles of things you have to have in the modern society to be equal to other human beings. And that's why the government in a modern society becomes so important, but you can't have it go out of control because this really is about a world of human beings, not a human doing things. That's what Kelly Rosano, the, the very famous astrologer and life coach says on YouTube, you're, you're not a human doing, you're a human being. And she is certainly not the first to say this. And this goes all the way back to where we imagine, we people of faith imagine uh, the start with Jesus and Mary. But their stories have been so convoluted over 2,000 years of people pulling at that story. And if it's not Jesus and Mary, it's 
whatever your religion is and the way it has been put together. And it's trying to make sense of these ancient religions in the 21st century, especially with women's equality finally being understood, appreciated, respected, and the law is now behind it. This is a really different situation. But we've got to imagine where where how did we get in this situ how did we get in this position? And one of the things that I contend is that the biggest problem is with organized religion, it's a obviously a hierarchical uh, institution. God is outside, man is next, and women uh, are are next unless they have children, and then the woman is after the children. This is this is what mo this is what society has concocted over uh, the first thousand years and the first next thousand years, and we're 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 scraping our way out of this. But this has been a very long time, and people people ask me all the time when you know when are women going to be in places of leadership well we're not men and the leadership roles in the company and the corporate structure is going to have to change a bit uh and we're doing that slowly but one of the problems we have is when you have god first man second women third and then children and then if you have three children then you're about sixth or seventh there's a problem here because you are the glue. You are the reason the family lives and breathes. You are, you are, you are the creator in this family. And the problem comes because we never understood the relationship between Jesus and Mary because they were never human beings living in ancient times, brutal ancient times. And I, I went over there this in the last podcast, but I, he I have to keep coming back to it because this is really the central theme of all of our struggles uh, in so many ways. And I want to uh, impress upon you that Mary being equal to Jesus explodes the minds of traditional religious people, men and women. But this is where it starts. I've explained what I thought really happened. Can you imagine, instead of going through that again, which I will uh, again, but can you imagine Mary not wanting children, her father wanting her to be married, and and she was hearing all these tales from the the women and uh, and the the gossip from villages about the savior he might be the one he's he's near he's close and she's praying at night in this isolation there's no cell towers no telephones no tv radio there's nothing but quiet and her own life and and the desperation and what might have happened when they met? Mary's story was shut away. She was unimportant. And the story that the men told over hundreds of years after Christ died, and the, the stories that got ignored, 
the tales and how Mary was made into all sorts of things combined. This is the struggle. We're still climbing out of that today in the 21st century with women. We still don't have equal representation anywhere. But most importantly, in the church or outside the church, that's why so many women are doing these new age things. And one of the things that comes out of this is, is when you start breaking away from God is it's outside and I'm waiting for him to decide what my life is, and you reject that, you start thinking about your own visualization and you read these great uh, gurus and you start thinking, how, how can I do this? And you think about some of the great quotes and, and, and what were they doing? And I thought about a quote recently. It's not about what you get, it's who you become. And of course, that's a shortened quote of Ralph Waldo Emerson. But think about that. It's not about what you get, it's who you become. That is the essence of the law of attraction. Having faith that it will come. But the thing about it, you can't just sit there and wait for it to show up. The law of attraction is not a magnet. There will be people in your way. If you want something, you're going to have to you're going to have to get rid of those obstacles. Now you may not want to do it, but I'm here to tell you that if there's something standing in your way of what you want, you need to dispense with that and you have to find a way that resonates with who you are. And that is the challenge of life, whether it's a dance audition, a singing audition, uh, an acting audition. Uh, if you're competing with something in any way whatsoever, even your best friend, maybe you're competing with your best friend for uh, a job and you found out all of a sudden and she gets it and you don't. The oh, there's all kinds of ways you'll feel, but the you have to discipline yourself to always take and be happy for that person. You can even say, I'm really mad, mad that I didn't get it, but I'm happy for you. you, you this is a, a conscious decision you have to not ruminate on the negative. This is a conscious choice because neg it just cycles. And the more negative you uh you spin in your head the further away you get from the law of attraction and how this works it works incredibly uh you could be on a, a creative spree you have a fight with someone you get really mad maybe you have a drink or two you get madder and then the next day you try to write and you're like i don't feel it the reason you don't feel it is you're cut off from source you can get cut off from these energies, from these these uh, uh, creative energies. Now, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure an astrophysicist will look at me and say they're not talking to you directly. You have to have your own private world, and you have to hear this come up from your gut before you can look at him and say that's your truth. You can't prove these things; you just have to experience them. And it is not about what you get. It is about who you become. It's about the lessons you learn. What is the lesson of failing? 
that you have to try again. As a creative artist over many, many decades, that is the, that is the strongest rule I can give you. Nothing is ever in vain. You will, you may not understand why that, why you had to do that creative project or that job, but at the end of it, you're like, I learned X, Y, Z. There is a reason. There is, there is a reason that sometimes your mind can't, your brain can't understand and your mind hasn't gotten its, its, it's, it's, uh, let's see, what can I say? It's tentacles around. <laughs> we need to try to make our lives as large as those men did when they were writing the story of Jesus and Mary. We need to try to make our lives matter that much. It's very difficult especially when you don't have a job, you don't have money, been there, done that, are broke, been there, almost homeless, check. Lived alone for many, many years, check, check. I mean, it's very hard. I know what I'm asking you to do. I'm just saying that when you get down, you need to know this structure is there because you can always go back to it. There is a way out. There is always a way out. And one of the ways is to remember Remember, remember how important this woman was to Jesus Christ. And she was wiped out of history, really her importance. She was made a prostitute at one point. At one point, there were three Marys and nobody knew who was, who was different, who was, who was which one. This is, this is a woman who changed human history because she was driven to meet this man for whatever reason and whatever connection they had was so great that she had a message for his best buddies that only she had whether it was a vision whatever it was that woman was wiped out of history it has happened many times in families. Many of your families, your mother might have, your grandmother might have been somebody amazing. And she, we're learning about African-American women in Nassau just, just in the last 10 years. Women's history has been wiped out by many people. We, we don't have, we never had the facility to do it because we were not in the power structure. One of the reasons women leaving the church is so important to our own power and or reimagining the church, because like I said from the beginning, this what I'm talking about you being able to do for yourself is not in place of your beloved faith or your Catholic church or your Baptist church or whatever, or um, you know your, your Muslim faith, a Jewish, whatever. This is the power you have as a human being and then make sense of your religion on top of that or as a foundation of that. And it begins with this woman because she is the story of so many women throughout history 
who had this tweet, this this bad thing or that bad thing. So we won't talk about them because we she was wrong on this. We are flawed human beings, all of us. No one is perfect. And that leads me to kind of where I left off last week. I read from uh, my second nonfiction book uh, published by Padero Press, put out now by Open Road Media, The Sexual Education of a Beauty Queen, Relationship Secrets from the Trenches. And this was published in 2014. And what I'm going to read from uh, now is I'm going to read the introduction. And uh, I'm not going to read the first page of the introduction, uh, but I'm going to read several pages, a couple pages in. And there's a reason I'm going to do this. Um, This book in 2014, uh, I wrote this book before I had had completely put all my stories together, including um, history my mom told me, what I knew about my brother and my sister and, and my father. And it just... Uh, when I when I had the opportunity to write this book, which is a compilation of kind of um, many years of interviewing people and learning about men and women and their relationships and sexuality, one of the things I felt I had to do because it was like in the trenches and it was an overall view is I had I was at the point where I I needed to say something about this background of mine that had shaped my life so vividly. And so I'm going to start this and it's, it's, um, it's about my family and we each have our family and it, um, it's interesting. So here we go. Why I picked the family I did to drop into from oblivion. I'll never know for sure. Sure. So No sins of omission or confessions here, just a simple explanation for the road I chose. My adventures were fueled by the crazy combustion of family life at the moment the feminine mystique collided with sexual liberation, leading to the birth of the modern feminist revolution. I'm also not a believer in dragging people through a tiresome chronicle about a screwed-up family. Abusive beginnings don't make a life. And if I'm certain of one thing, whether I can explain it all or not, it's that as sure as I was Miss Missouri, every exhilarating, unbounded experience and drama of my story has set me on the ride of a lifetime that I've authored myself. I wouldn't change any of it. Without my family, I would not have found and tapped the bravery of kin to venture into places I was told a lady never went and wouldn't have come to understand my own humanity, let alone get a glimpse of others, so I could relate to them and relay the stories of those who dared to tell their tales of love and lust to me. The heroine of my life is my mother Marjorie, who almost one who almost 100 years ago blasted onto earth and dared to never give up so that I'd be here today. It wasn't until April of 2013 that we finally pieced the rest of her story together and I learned she was originally named Phyllis. Born in 1916, she would learn she'd been adopted twice, was left by her father when her adoptive mother was killed and, and had been told her wrong birthday, which she didn't learn until she applied for Social Security. As she told it to me, but few others, 
the woman she thought was her birth mother, Eva, had stuffed herself out to appear pregnant when she was not. Then, when my mother was still a baby, the gas stove blew up, engulfing the house and killing mom's first adopted mother, Eva, Eva Gaynell McCain Clockley. Her adoptive father, Robert, promptly turned tail and ran for the hills, never to be seen again. That is, until she took us on a visit when I was in my early teens to Wichita, Kansas, and he appeared out of nowhere at the front door of the person we were visiting, decades after running out on my mother when single fatherhood came calling. Just the thought of him being at the front door sent my mother into hair-raising panic. She bolted from the house, dragging me out of the back door and drove immediately back to Missouri without staying one night in Kansas, talking a blue streak about her crazy life as we drove along. She forever awakened my wide-eyed consciousness as she told me what she knew of her beginnings, how she entered the world. My mother's second adoptive mother, Lily M. McCain, became my great-grandmother, whom I never knew, but who is legend in our tiny surviving family. In this part of her story, my mother got lucky because the McCains had some money, as their living on the north side of Joplin, Missouri at the time, signified. This is how Mom landed in college, the University of Arkansas, pledging Tri-Delta. In the early 20th century, going to college was unheard of for a girl raised near the boot heel area of Missouri. In the midlife of my mother's dramatic entrance, throw in a handsome rabscallion dandy of a man, my father Floyd. He was a smooth-talking shoe salesman, popular with the ladies, and a bastard of a man from start to finish. This is the relationship that everyone goes back to for any girl, especially one who takes close to 10 year excuse me especially one who takes close to a 10 year detour to excavate the worlds of sex and men women dating and relationships the first male relationship seals a girl's destiny on the road to understanding men and even finding love for daddy's little girl or so the shrinks tell it Ours was a short, strange, and unhealthy relationship, and that's all you're going to get from me on it. <laughs> Hurricane Floyd tore through our lives and left carnage across the family landscape, but it's not like he planned it. His mother, Grandma Marshall, to me, was a witch of a woman with my life's embedded memory of her simply a picture in my mind. Grandma Marshall standing over my beloved grandpa as he sat at his desk, hissing at him in a voice that sent chills down my spine as I watched from the stairs. My daddy simply labeled it Black Irish, which for our family meant a vicious strain of temperament that seemed to wreak havoc through evil. Before Floyd showed up at the University of Arkansas and my mother climbed out of the sorority window to elope with him, Daddy had plenty of troubles of his own. One moment that seemingly haunted him was the time he was driving and ended up in an accident that left his date dead and him still alive. The girl riding shotgun had been named Marjorie, the same as the woman he would marry, my mother. But after Daddy married Mom, he always called her Duchess, 
the name Marjorie never spoken from his lips. Floyd and Marjorie were beautiful people, epic partiers and big drinkers. Not that I was there to see it because they had me late, so by the time Daddy spent most of his time in the hospital and I in front of the TV. But the pictures left behind show it, the happier chapters of their lives unfolding frame by frame on the flip side of the carnage-riddled drama their partnership organically caused. Happy times turned to dramatic soap opera events at a time in the 20th century when roles for men and women were starting to implode and late-entry kids like myself watched it all unravel. The next generations, including my brother, sister, and me, were all forged through this emotional volcano and not only survived it, but thrived as a result of being made stronger and smarter as a result of it, making ours a quintessentially American story. This isn't a whine, but the truth, the foundation and the proof of the inevitability of the modern women's revolution, and just one of the stories that helped shake it loose from America's gut. Our family was a microcosm of the foundation that came before what continues to play out in our culture, though today's families have more outside forces invading while ours came from internal thunder. It's just nobody talked about what was happening openly when it was happening. We never processed anything. We pushed the struggles and the secrets down. Life played out on top while underneath was a landscape of cultural convulsion and societal fracking, a precursor of what's going on today in the great information giveaway as parents melt away and controls disappear. It was back during the 1950s and 60s when the tradition, I'm sorry, uh, when the traditional notion of relationships started falling apart because women had begun to rebel on the way to being set free to walk away from the setup. Mom and dad were smokers caught in the cloud of advertised glamour in the Mad Men era. My Aunt Maxine and Uncle Dick were part of the cast of the musical of My Family Life, which always had a soundtrack playing in the background. It began with Frank Sinatra, but included all things cool and male and libidinous. A smoldering track was always playing at our family record store, Marshall's Record Rendezvous. Maxine was a bombshell of a broad who, um, while my Uncle Dick was off flying way too many missions in Korea and ending up with battle fatigue for his heroism, was trying her hand at modeling, which was quite the scandal for the Midwestern norm. The scuttlebutt was she was too much woman for him because she wasn't the housewife type. While Uncle Dick was off fighting the enemy for his country, my dad was at Boeing Aircraft in Wichita, Kansas, doing his part for the war efforts in an essential industry that meant he couldn't be spared for combat. However, what isn't known is whether he ever had a choice to fight in combat instead, which was an option given to many men of draft age while women were taking their places in factories so the men could fight. Since I was so young when all this played out, I relied on parts of my story's validation from my older brother, Larry, the only real father I've ever known. The man who became my sister's rock, but also rescued my mother and me, too, when Daddy died. He would also become the mentor of my political life because of the impact John F. Kennedy had on him, something I chronicled in my one-woman show, Weeping for JFK. Whatever, whatever a father is supposed to mean to a little girl growing up, 
Larry was that for my sister and me. When my father died, my mother didn't even know where the checkbook was kept. That's the way it was. It hardly mattered because there was nothing in it. Daddy had left a financial black hole behind. Mom also had to get her head around working for a living again at midlife while learning to cope with a young, ambitious, hell-on-wheels little girl with dreams of Broadway and changing the world. It was an all-hands-on-deck moment, and as usual, there stood Larry to help guide me on a path which I blasted into I'm sorry, which I blasted into on a trajectory that no one quite understood. Making sense of a gang of disparate misfits, otherwise known as my family, wasn't easy, but that's what I did, eventually. So I chose my mother as heroine and cast my dad as a character fitting a Hemingway novel, which gave his life some grace and allowed me to face my family, understand, and forgive. It was far more satisfying than the psychobabble arc alternative that didn't fit the grand sweep of the life I intended to manifest, which had no place in it anywhere for moping victimology. Our story was an American as a, our story was Amer, as American as anyone else's, it being hardly original that my father left me with more than my usual share more than the usual share of daddy issues, even if the details diverged. Sorry about uh, these breaks. Uh, I, I have uh, recorded my own audiobook, which I assure you is flawless. <laughs> but, ta- but reading this out loud, I read, it, I read it to myself before I decided to do this because I knew all this anxiety would come up in the middle. That's the reason this isn't an audiobook already. <laughs> Maybe someday I'll get... Um, I'll get through all this, right? Um, Gosh, all of this was the story of my family, the drama of the woman who gave birth to me in her 40s in the 1950s when few women that age were having children. Mom told me the event of her pregnancy made the papers, though that may have just become part of her myth on the way to surviving it all. Actually, someone, I can't remember who it was, somebody actually uh, sent me a picture of the uh, paper at the time. So that really was true. She did make the one of the paper, one of the pages of the paper. Anyway, uh, just a little more and we'll <laughs> just a little more. Marjorie's life was also unbelievable for its force of insanity and unfairness, particularly when you look at the burden she carried so much of the time in a moment in America where men were king. It's part of the inheritance feminists are still fighting to change. The woman who sent me on my journey was born in the second decade of the 20th century. Now, as we travel through the second decade, a hundred years later, telling her tale as part of the book on the road to women's independence. The rest of this story represents our struggle for equality, especially in our relationships. And I'm going to add outside this book, uh, identity. Because I think I think that's really what we're we're trying to do. Because our 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 initial identity uh, at the time of man man structural building of this human society that we've lived through these two thousand years, women's role was basically non-existent except to 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 get to have children. And we are still, at the end of 2,000 years, trying to establish our own identity separate from that today. 
And it's because that our, our institutions still have so much sway on us. It doesn't mean we can't love our church, but we have to realize that men running the church is why it's been in the ground because power corrupts absolutely when it does not, uh, is not held accountable. And nobody in the hierarchy of any of the churches have been held accountable, let alone these writings that were for men, by men, in service of men. And I don't say that with disrespect because without, their, without man's strength, and ingenuity and the coupling of man and woman together, we built society, you know, I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to, there's a reason this happened the way it, it did, but we got, talk about entrenched power. It's, the corporations aren't the, aren't the problem. Uh, corporations are, are separate. We're talking about the very, the very architecture of our society leaves women outside of it. Now let me see if I can find where I was. Uh, let's see. Yes. Watching my mother fight for us at midlife, our secret celebrations when she'd get a nickel raised per hour, her, generos her generosity when she'd send me $5 one month at college and then leaving me that final payment to finish off my school loan in a tiny life insurance policy that might as well have been a million dollars to me stays with me because of what it meant about her life and ours. Before it was over, my mother got yet another shock. When applying for Social Security, she couldn't locate a birth certificate. There was a call to my big brother. She, The curious story shared letters back and forth to the Social Security Administration, and then she finally was told that the birthday we'd always celebrated wasn't the actual date of her birth. She wasn't born in July 1916, but in June 1916. It was a weird moment in a life that had its start tumultuously with her birth mother, Catherine, handing her off to someone who thought that adoption wasn't proper and had to be kept secret, so she had pretended to be pregnant when she wasn't. You simply didn't openly adopt in those days, but also the shame of not being able to conceive a woman's primary value at the time was too much. If I'd been born in my mother's age, I would have been swallowed up whole and never allowed to rebel and discover. If I'd listened to my sisters in the modern girl revolution, I wouldn't have had the gall to dare to venture into the man's world and find answers to questions women had been asking for years about men's sex and relationships. It's also the reason beauty pageants came into the picture. They afforded scholarships and money leading to industrials and other gigs that paid better for a beauty queen who was also a dancer and actress, all of which made me more marketable. It was a way, uh, it was a way to get to college at a time when everyone was determined to get me there, especially me. There was no money from daddy and no loan options, so I would have to get my degree by whatever means necessary, which I did a semester early. But coming at the moment when women's liberation was front and center, modern judgments abounded for beauty pageants and their queens. Like when I was in Atlantic City, New Jersey, competing in the Miss America pageant, I came out of the Chalfont Haddon Hotel one day where I was staying to find now picketing the pageant. One 
One female protester confronted me asking, how can you demean yourself like this? That was easy. So I simply replied, you want to pay for my college tuition? And that's where I'm going to stop. So as you can see from the story of my life and the, the most important female I've ever known, my mother, there has been a writing out of women's stories for centuries. And we have made so much progress in the 21st century that it makes us wonder what took so long. And it's just a matter of timing. And we're there. We're here. But it do, And I'm going to go back to what I said in the beginning. But it doesn't mean that just because you're a feminist, you're uh, qualified, and you want to be the president of this particular company, it doesn't mean, even if everything lines up, that it's going to happen. You're going to have to fight for it. And if there's someone in your way that, that you really like and you don't really want to have an argument because, quote, unquote, it's not your style, you're not going to get that job. You're going to have to learn that the law of attraction means things may be put in your path that you visualize. That doesn't mean there won't be competition. And you will have to tweak your style to make it work in a confrontational setting. Because you will get challenged. And not only that, there are energies that support us at different times and another. And sometimes those energies don't match the moment. Barack, Barack Obama became president at a moment in time that seemed so perfect for it. But I was in the middle of that fight. Not inside, but on the outside. So I could be a bit... Um, unbiased before I got in the thick of it. And let me tell you something, his usual style had to change in the middle of that race because he wanted that prize. You, you can't be who you are at a resting state when you're being challenged. And you've got to find a way to go through that and, and maintain your own authenticity at the same time. But just because you want something and you're qualified and your argument is good, if there are two other people standing in your way, you got to get rid of those two people and you got to figure out how to do it. And if you can't figure out how to do it, it's on you, nobody else. There will always be sexism in the world because that's the way this is set up. We, to, change, to change history, we are going to have to continue to strive, to fail, to keep going. And once we break through, it'll keep going, as in all things. But we're going to have to, we're going to, have to confront the males who hold the power. It's one of the reasons I remain furious with... <laughs> The people inside Facebook, particularly a, a very competent woman, Sheryl Sandberg. And it's not a personal thing. It's just she was in the middle of this when all these guys were making the decision. 
when women are in the middle and you're making decisions that that pose a problem to your country, you need to stand up to it or or resign or do something. You know, we can't just be we can't just stand up behind men and become part of the problem. We support men, but we we stand up and push back when they're wrong. That's the thing that is different. We can't do what Nikki Haley did with the current president. Just because you're on his party doesn't mean you uh you you say he's not wrong when he is. Cuz if if women keep doing this, whether you're Democratic or Democratic or Republican or conservative, whatever you are, I'm telling you, you cannot expect women to make it through if you're going to be exactly like the men. Or on the other side, if you're going to be quiet when both of these people are both are with two men are going at you, you've got to be able to dispense with them. Or two women are going at you. It doesn't matter. I'm just picking numbers. If it's one man, if you're against one man, you've got to be able, you can be nice about it. You don't have, you don't have to be, uh, you don't have to be like a, a partisan political hack about it, but you can say, well, then I don't understand if, if you believe healthcare is so important, then why aren't you covering pre-existing uh, uh, conditions and you're going to court to force the blocking of covering pre-existing conditions? You know, you've got to make an argument. That was not the greatest way to put that together, but you know what I mean. <laughs> you've got to be willing to fight. You've got to be willing to fight. Maybe it isn't your style. You're going to have to do it anyway, and you're going to have to find a way to do it. This is how you learn the lessons. You don't learn the lessons by just showing up. You learn the lessons by showing up and playing the game that's being played. You, you can't change the game if you're not in it. And it takes a long time. This, this is not a light switch situation, but we're as close as we've ever come. Look at all, look at all the women that are that are succeeding today and how the voices are getting louder and louder. And look at the men who are being called out for their behavior and what they've done. We're getting there. Now we have to learn to fight like women. <laughs> not like men, so we get called shrill and harsh and unlikable, but we've got to figure out how we as women fight. We haven't done that yet, I don't think. Some some people do it pretty well. Uh, it's just not easy, and you have to understand. Look at look at how hard it is to move anything in in politics today in Washington in Congress. It's deadlocked, right? It's very difficult to move on to take to to start usurping men when there's when half the country still believes, including some women, that men are the breadwinner and women are support. Half the country still believes this. And recently there was a UN study. I just I think I just put this on Facebook. I don't post on Facebook very much. My my thing is uh uh, Instagram, and uh, it's a UN study that says that that did across the world, 90% of people, women and men, are still prejudiced against women today, in the 21st century. That's the United Nations survey. This is still a problem worldwide. It's not just here. 
if you think it's bad here, imagine around the world. Women are dying in childbirth. They're dying because they want to go to school. This is still serious. That's why I always, I never bought into, you know, this post-feminism and all these different Nope, we're still in it. We're still in it. It's a movement. We go, so it's a revolution. It just keeps revolving and moving and moving. We're getting closer, but we still have a long way to go. And that's the story of this podcast, a different way to look at it. Instead of just going at it uh, with your job and trying to get equality at home and all these things, there's that. This is a different framework. I am saying, look at the framework of society. Look, look at the framework going back 2,000 years and even longer for some ancient religions and societies. Look at the structure. There's more men in the top than women, especially in developed nations. We've got a long way to go because it is institutionalized through our faith that God is outside of us, man is the conduit, and woman waits quietly for directions. Uh Uh-uh. Not having it anymore. You've been listening to Sacred to Psychic. I'm Taylor Marsh. You can reach me at www.taylormarsh.com. And remember... It's not fate, it's your choices.